Today, my guest is Dr. Gemma Green, who is the co-founder and chair of Power Ledger, which is a world-leading peer-to-peer marketplace for renewable energy underpinned by blockchain technology. Her resume is as impressive as it is diverse. She has a PhD in disruptive innovation and is from my hometown, Perth, and she's doing a stellar job of leading the charge in changing the energy ecosystem in Australia. Dr Green is an independent councillor for the City of Perth and a board member for various climate and environmental organisations. As a sustainability champion, she is one of the 2016 40 Under 40 Award winners for the work she is doing in the energy space. And added to this, she is becoming a real powerhouse in the Australian blockchain technology scene. It's a real pleasure to have her on today to talk about what she's been up to recently and why her company Power Ledger is driving a shift in the way we generate, use and share power. Welcome to the show, Gemma. Hi, Lizzie. I hope you don't mind. Can I call you Gemma or would you rather? Yeah, of course. It would be weird if you called me anything else. (laughs) There you go. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I know you're having a baby, as I said, and the lead up must be becoming pretty hectic. So, I'm all the more appreciative as a mother myself that you could fit me into your busy schedule. My pleasure. So for our listeners, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? I know you're a Perth girl, as I said, but I'd be interested to hear more about your background and what led you into the world of sustainability and energy markets, because I know that there's banking in there somewhere. Yeah, it was a little bit by accident. I was working um, in investment banking in London Uh, I was there 11 years in total and about halfway through my time there uh, I I was working at JP Morgan and uh, I did a leadership training course and as a part of that I had to choose a project, something that I was interested in and I looked around the office and saw there were no recycling facilities in the London offices and so I pitched this idea to the Chief Operating Officer for Europe that we introduced recycling to J.P. Morgan's London offices, which was about six buildings and 9,000 staff. And he said yes. And three months later, we had recycling bins. Uh, and I was very happy about that until I saw some people throwing their recycling into their uh, rubbish bin at their desk rather than walking to the end of the aisle to put it in the recycling. And so I, I cooked up another version of this project called Bin the Bin, which involved getting rid of the 9,000 bins and putting a recycling bin and a rubbish bin at the end of the aisles and in doing so hoped to increase the rate of recycling and I pitched that to the chief operating officer and he said let's do it and three months later it happened and I became the most hated person in uh, JP Morgan's London offices (laughs) overnight. Uh, Yeah and uh, I love your thinking. Yeah it was uh, but I mean the reaction made me look at this and go, wow, this is really interesting seeing the kind of people dynamic of change management and sustainability. And I thought I'd like to work in this field. And I, I pursued some studies, a couple of postgraduate diplomas and a master's. And uh, halfway through one of the postgrads in sustainability, JP Morgan decided to set up an environmental and social risk management unit looking at its lending and underwriting activities in developing countries. Mm-hmm. And I was chosen to help set up the team. 
and I ended up working there for six years. And, uh, yeah, so it was kind of a segue from mainstream finance into sustainable finance. And then I moved back to Perth in 2013 and originally I was going to go to Sydney or Melbourne where all the banks are, but I just felt home calling me and involved contemplating a different career and in between leaving London and coming back to Perth I did quite a lot of hiking um, in Nepal, Spain, Middle East, South America and I just got this idea in my head to build I really wanted to be involved with building an eco village and I shared this idea with a few people and one thing led to another and all of a sudden I was doing a PhD uh, applied research looking at electricity markets and um, had designed a solar and battery microgrid for an apartment building here in Perth, which was the first of its kind in Australia because up until then um, all the rooftop solar, you know, had been in housing and although apartments represent 30% of the housing supply, there's virtually no uh, renewable energy on the rooftops. Mm. I had was trying to find software, though, that could make this shared energy system perform as I had hoped, which was that each household or apartment would be allocated units of electricity and if you weren't home to consume that allocation, you could trade it with your neighbours and I I wasn't able to find anything that did that. In January of 2016, uh, a former JP Morgan colleague of mine, a guy from Sydney called Alan Young, introduced me to uh, a couple of blockchain developers and I'd really only heard of it notionally at that point in terms of the Bitcoin but investigating it, I saw it could do exactly what I'd hoped for in the apartment building and I introduced them to Dave Martin, one of the other co-founders of Power Ledger, and he'd seen a similar opportunity across energy networks and he actually said, I want to set up a, a business. Do you want to join me? And I said, yes. So three months later we formed Power Ledger. Wow, that's amazing. And so the, so blockchain was kind of a catalyst, was it, to forming Power Ledger or were you already going to join Power Ledger anyway? Yeah, but blockchain was the catalyst to form Power Ledger. Uh, so we formed it with basically peer-to-peer trading in buildings and across regulated networks in mind. So I guess, I mean, I've been, I need to probably disclose that I have got power. Um, I have invested in power tokens and I think that... Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I've I've been looking at the company and think that what you're trying to contribute to the energy ecosystem is fantastic but I don't want to talk about it I'd rather you talk about it so what is the problem that you felt that you were solving with Power Ledger because I think it's enormous and and will be a real game changer well the problem that we saw in electricity markets across regulated networks is declining utilization of the grid because of distributed renewables but that the blockchain could enable a more transactive grid and uh, for small market participants like households to start to solve some of the big problems in the grid by selling electricity, say, from a home battery unit or an electric vehicle and settle payments from, from that at real time or, you know, near real time, whereas currently you just get a feed-in tariff from your solar and you get paid every 60 days with your bill. But the blockchain means you could actually have a more real-time market, a more sophisticated market and, um allow small market participants to solve some of the big problems collectively. Mm. So tell from a, I guess from a, a young child's perspective, how would you describe how it works? So you've got your solar generating power, so you've got your power on top of roofs in, a, in an apartment block and that goes into the grid or that it becomes a supply. So tell us how it all works. 
Sure. Uh, simply put, if you've got solar panels on your roof, you can sell that surplus electricity to your neighbour. But equally, if you've got a solar farm, you could sell to many small households, whereas currently those farms sell to a big wholesaler who then on sells to customers. Mm. So it, it means that you can have more C to C, like customer to customer or B to C transactions in a slightly more complex way of describing it. And so you mentioned that if you weren't using the power, you could be selling the power to, assuming, say, people go on, people are living in an apartment and they decide they're going to go on holiday for a couple of weeks, they're allocated a certain amount of power that's being generated for their apartment. So if they're not there, are they then able to generate or, or trade that power to somebody else that could be using it and so kind of, Generated a revenue stream for themselves. Is it for them, or is it for the is it for the tenant? Exactly. Is it for the corporate body? Yeah. I, I wasn't quite sure how that worked. It depends. If it's owner occupied and then they go away, they can sell their allocation to uh, their neighbours. Yes. Um, if it's tenanted, the landlord can provide them with you know reduced price electricity that's carbon free, and um, uh, they can purchase that from Strata. But equally, if you're, you've got a house that's not part of an apartment and your your retailer is allowing you to trade peer-to-peer, then anything you generate that's surplus to your own requirements in the house, you can sell to your neighbour or somebody else. So it sounds amazing from a point of view of working with the cases of apartments. There are a few trials that you've conducted. Can you tell me a little bit about those? I know I, I knew I've been kind of following the one from Bustleton and I was really excited about what you were doing in Auckland with the banking and the financing. But equally it sounded really interesting what you were doing. Was it in White Gum Valley with, with also putting the car into an electric car into the grid? Yeah, so that's actually part of my PhD research project and that's at WGV, which is a development in Fremantle and there's a uh, four apartment buildings that will be constructed two have been completed and one of those has an electric vehicle uh, which is shared so anyone can rent that and it's charged from uh, the energy system within the apartment building so it provides an extra income stream to the strata so strata could effectively become like a utility company. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's such a great idea and I thought, my God, so many people living in apartments would love to roll that kind of system out. Well, I think up until now they've been locked out of it because there hasn't been a solution that made it all fair. Like it's a bit like going out to dinner, you know, with, you know, a big group of friends and one person has an entree made and dessert and another just has a main and some others drink and others don't and they split the bill and you you don't really want to go for dinner that many times unless it's all divvied up fairly but you don't really want the hassle of having to do it and the blockchain really simplifies that whole process yeah okay so it's that actually i should get you to describe blockchain very simply or briefly for our listeners as well well it's it's basically a database that records the transactions between the buyer and the seller but it's not the database isn't owned by the buyer or the seller it's common to all counterparties and so what that normally what happens when buy and seller transact, whether it be on the stock market or you know, buying wheat, they invoice each other and there's a settlement process. But using the blockchain, the actual transaction is the settlement. So it's one record and the payment is part of the actual transaction. And so you kind of cut out the need for two sets of databases and the reconciliation and invoicing process. Um, so it makes marketplaces generally more efficient. 
Mm. And so using blockchain and having this uh, renewable energy system, would it work with wind as well? Because I know that you're working with solar and I wondered if you've got the opportunity to actually have multiple um, inputs of energy for the system. Uh, Well, you could have electricity that is originating from anything from a gas-fired power station to a solar panel, uh, you know, either small scale, large scale, or a battery. It's it's agnostic in terms of the origins of the electricity. You just need smart meters, which provide the actual transactive information for the blockchain entry, and uh, allow the settlement to take place off the back of that. Are you running a trial in India? Has is is there a partnership that you formed in India? Yeah. Yes, actually, we have um, we have a trial in India and also one in Thailand as well. Wow! So, so can this, you tell us a little um, bit about that? Sure. So basically, um, we've got uh, a trial in Thailand, uh, which involves a number of large buildings that have installed capacity of solar on the roof, and um, they are going to be transacting across the regulated electricity network. And in India, we've got a partnership with Tech Mahindra, which is a global IT company with about $5 billion in annual revenue, and we're doing a, um, a trial on a, a project in Pune and um, we're basically finalising data transfer arrangements to start receiving metadata from the Pune site and that will be to uh, expand it to another site in Hyderabad so, and then we've also got um, a project in Tasmania with Nest, and that's energy trading across the grid with one megawatt of solar and eleven meters um, across the regulated network. So, and then the Thailand one I mentioned, mm. um, the company we're partnered with is BCPG, and they've actually got presence in four countries in Asia, and they're the largest renewable generation company uh, in Thailand, and they also operate in Philippines, Indonesia, and Japan. And, um, wow. Yeah, so uh, we've got where they're targeting 20 to 30 megawatts of solar deployment this year. So, and, and PowerLedger's platform will be the transactive and settlement layer um, for, for, those, for those projects. So you're doing the trials with them at the moment and if the trials are successful, which they sound like they will be, that's the rollout that you're actually going to be the, um, you know, the underlying uh, infrastructure for them. Yeah, so I mean, when you're creating a new marketplace, you know, you need to get the te- show that the technology works and get companies comfortable with using it, and then from there you can talk yeah. about scale. And so, the phase we're in right now is you know verifying and validating how the technology works, and then the next stage is looking yeah. at to scale up. And is there any kind of conversation at Power Ledger about you know solar and occupiers in housing rather than because I know you've been working with apartments and and the strata law, but I wondered if you were working in a different way with people just generating power in their own house. Yeah, it's the same thing. So that's basically where you've got trading from house to house across the regulated electricity network, and okay. we have been um, doing a trial with Ver- um, with Origin. Energy okay. over east, and they're the largest retailer in Australia. They've got about 4.3 million customers. And uh, we've demonstrated as a first stage of that how the technology works. And um, it ha- you know, it basically shows how uh, you can create a more sticky relationship with your customer by giving them what they want and offer new products and services such as solar and battery and enable them to transact surplus electricity using the blockchain. 
So technically, you'd be saying to the retailers, you guys are going to be offering a different suite of services than you've offered in the past, mm-hmm. and this is what they want, and it's a peer-to-peer trading system. And, yes. and how are the retailers receiving that? I mean, are they? I would have thought it was quite disruptive for them. Well, regardless of blockchain, their uh, marketplace is being disrupted and what our technology offers is, you know, disruption but without as much destruction of value and that for them to be able to trial and test what will be the business models for the marketplace, you know, version 2.0. Mm. Wow, it's just incredible. So tell me a little bit about um, if we can just drill down a little bit about the tokens because I know people get very confused about the ICOs that have been happening lately. You've probably heard the same thing I've heard about. Um, the vaporware that's out there and ICOs that have launched uh, with tokens and and there's a concern about compliance. And I was really keen to have you chat about, you know, your ICO in particular that you did last year, but also the power token and what was the spark token and what they do, that they're not security tokens, they're utility tokens and, and explain what they, you know, how they work in the system. Yes, uh, so we have a twin token system. We have the Power Token, which is a cryptocurrency, and we have Sparks, which is a cryptographic token. And uh, the cryptographic token is not something that's traded or has price volatility, which you see in the cryptocurrency markets. And it's like phone minutes for electricity. So one spark is one cent, so a dollar buys you a hundred sparks. So customers, when they want to trade peer to peer, purchase sparks to do so. And then they can convert sparks back to dollars. And um, energy companies that allow their customers to trade peer-to-peer are going to sell their customers sparks to do so. And they need power tokens. The utilities need power tokens, which is put up as a bond to protect the consumer in the event that the, the energy company doesn't redeem sparks back to dollars. So it's a kind of collateral system uh, that manages merchant risk. So it's similar to what you'll find in banking where companies take prepayments for services that are not yet delivered and the power token does that in an automated fashion. Okay. Did you do a, do a little bit more in relation to being reimbursed money and with banking in Auckland? Uh, we, showed, we actually showed how the platform worked and we did do actual settlement using New Zealand dollars to Sparks um, and that was the first place that we did that. Uh, in the world, in terms of the power token, we um, instamined or created a billion of those tokens and we sold about one third of them uh, in October last year, in October 2017, and we raised $34 million and that was the first uh, token generation event or initial coin offering in Australia. Yeah, and what's kind of your, what's your feeling about What's been happening in the ICO space, there's a lot of conversations. Um, I mean, obviously the uh, cryptocurrency market has dropped significantly recently in the last couple of months and a lot of it is about the concern of compliance and that um, the companies that have been, the blockchain companies that have been doing these ICOs haven't been compliant and they're going to be shut down. I mean, do you have any opinion on that? Because I certainly know that PowerLedger isn't there. I know you had very good advice from your legal team. Yes, um, I think that, well, there's a few things. There's whether the token is uh, a security and therefore would need to comply with security regulations into the markets that it's selling into. Mm. And um, then there's 
whether the company actually has substance behind it. And they're two separate questions, but I mean, there's certainly a lot of, I think, ideas that have not yet been developed into platforms, applications, or or had projects deployed off the back of them. And, you know, some of those companies will, you know, produce those things as a result of funds they raise in an ICO, but I, I question whether others will in a similar way to the perhaps tech stock, tech stock boom. You know, it was a bubble, and but it didn't mean technology disappeared. It just meant a lot of the companies, um, you know, didn't make it. That added .com to their name maybe weren't really technology companies. Yes. Uh, and I think you'll see a similar thing in the crypto world, a consolidation, and there's been a fairly good amount of acceptance for ideas or vapour, where, as you put it, um, up until now. But I think that the market is going to become more discerning and that the crackdown on tokens that are actually securities is uh, making all of the exchanges that are listing them far more concerned about the legal opinions that the companies have that show or demonstrate what whether it's a security or a utility token or something else. Yeah, that's right, and whether they've actually got a white paper that has the jurisdiction yes. in a specific country, which I think is a huge gap. Well, I think that it's as much as the place that you originate um an ICO out of, but it's also the markets you sell into. That, it, that determines if you sell into the US market, you need to comply with the US regs, regardless of whether you're based in Singapore or Switzerland or Australia for that matter. Which is why the US haven't been able to actually participate or US citizens haven't been able to participate in quite a few of the ICOs that have launched in the last six months. Yeah, I mean, I think companies have... Um, as a precaution, blocked, geo-blocked companies being able to, uh, people being able to purchase from the US. Uh, and it's, mm. you can get legal opinions that provide much more crystal clear opinions about what a token is from certain countries, but the regulation in the US is quite murky. And so it's hard to get a black and white opinion out of a lawyer, uh, uh, you know, that covers the US market. And so that's made people nervous about selling into it. Mm. How do you find the blockchain space in Australia? I mean, I, I guess I've seen you or had the first interaction with you on a Telegram group, I think, in for the women in international women in blockchain. How are you finding, you know, the kind of crypto world and, and blockchain world in Australia? Where do you think it's at compared to, for instance, globally? Well, I think it's probably more nascent, but... I wouldn't call any, I mean, Zug in Switzerland is probably the most progressed in Singapore, but I think that the epicenters of blockchain and the cities that kind of claim the spaces, the, the hubs for those sectors are yet to be claimed and they'll be decided over the next, you know, five years. And what do you think the deciding factors will be? I mean, I, I wonder if it'll be c- compliance. Well, the regulatory environment will be a big driver, but that won't be the only thing. I think that cities and governments will draw in other, you know, will position themselves from a tax perspective as well as a regulatory setting perspective, uh, you know, as an attractive proposition. And a lot of these companies want to base themselves in livable cities too. So it's also about the operating costs. So, you know, places, some certain cities are very high operating costs, even though they're technology hubs, so they may not be as attractive. I think that you might see it moving of the access around some of this from traditional technology centres to other cities. 
So moving into some more, I guess, personal questions, I was kind of interested in your background and and the breadth of experience you've got. And I'm wondering, if has there ever been any time in your life where you you have failed? And, and if you have, when was it and, and did you learn anything from it? Oh, I think that that happens almost, you know, on a weekly basis, you know, where, you know, you intend something to happen and it doesn't quite go what you want. But I don't, I don't sort of relate to those circumstances as kind of epic failures. They're just more like, all right, well, you know, is this still a good idea and does it need to be approached in a different way or what could be learned from it? But I mean, in terms of power ledger, lots of people think, oh, you know, we're so successful, but I actually don't see that we've demonstrated the re- success in the bigger sense of the word yet. We've managed to stop at the gas station and pick up quite a lot of petrol, but in terms of the yeah, marketplace yeah, that we want to create. Yours with the petrol. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, you know, it we still yet to prove that we can actually create the market that we um, we want to and we think we can. So I think that success is really up in the air in terms of blockchain and energy, although I think there's a huge opportunity and you can see that reflected in the amount of companies that are setting up in this space both in Australia and internationally. Yeah, and also a huge demand. I think when people learn more and more about what the contribution is and how they could trade with each other, I think the demand will skyrocket, particularly with the renewable prices going down and batteries going down too. Yes, absolutely. So who have you looked to in life who who you've been inspired by or who's had a real impact on decisions you make in life? Oh, um, well, lots of people. Um, I would say, um, that's yeah, it's quite a big question. Um, my favourite thinkers are, I think, Professor Amory Lovins. Um, I think, you know, he doesn't just theorise, he does stuff and he's been working in the field of commerce and energy and advising, you know, heads of state and corporate leaders and bringing sustainability leadership into the mainstream. So uh, okay. what's his Professor name? Amory Lovins. And where's he based? Uh, he's at the Rocky Mountain Institute in Colorado. Okay, is that got anything to do with Branson? I think that the there's an islands program um, which is focused on uh, the carbon war room, which was set up by Sir Richard Branson, and that's the now yes, yeah, with, and that's now been amalgamated into the Rocky Mountain Institute. So yeah, there there is a linkage there. Mm. And listen, you went to Necker Island and saw Branson. How was that? Oh, it was it was very um very special. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be invited to the blockchain summit in July last year. And yeah, there were fifty people there working in blockchain for social good from all around the world. So it was very amazing to meet them and hear about the work that they're doing in the blockchain. And also, of course, to meet Sir Richard and, and he was very humble and a very interesting person to talk to. And actually while I was chatting with him one conversation he said he was going to make himself a cup of tea and offered me one and went and made me a cup of tea and I was quite um, astounded really but it was um yeah it was a great opportunity to um to be around people that are leading the space in blockchain and I'll actually be going back to NECA in October this year for a different reason power ledgers uh finalists in the extreme tech challenge and I'll be pitching to Sir Richard Branson there and he'll be deciding the winners for that competition. 
Wow, that's fantastic. Well, congratulations that you're going back because what I love about what Sir Richard Branson does is he really drives businesses for positive social impact and I feel like blockchain is a huge opportunity for the world to have positive impact on the world and and I think with someone like Sir Richard harnessing all of these entrepreneurs together, really incredible things will happen. Yes. And so, listen, how do you look after yourself? You're obviously really busy. What, you know, what do you do that contributes to your well-being every day? Well, I, um, I do Pilates. I, um, I did quite a lot of walking up until when I became pregnant because I was, I've been terribly sick actually, um, like nausea and chucking up even six months into um, the pregnancy. So that actually has limited my uh, level of activity but I feel like I'm just starting to come good now, although I'm getting quite large, so it's getting harder to walk. <laughs> but um, yeah. uh, I love cooking and my family, uh, you know, spending time with my family and um, my do- two-year-old daughter and my husband, I think that, you know, it helps put all of these things in perspective. And you know, I moved to London for 11 years because I thought that was where all the exciting opportunities were. And I, I just love um, the idea of Perth becoming a city that, could provide those kinds of opportunities for my two-year-old and so she doesn't have to go away for a decade to find the exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was a bit similar to you in as much as I went away to London for about 13 years and, and did go back to Perth initially but then went away again and then ended up in Melbourne. But no. Perth's a really special place. It's got a lot of it's got a lot going for it. I guess the biggest issue is its isolation, it's isolation but it's very Close to Asia, so you know, with the energy, yeah, it's in a more favourable time zone than um, the east coast of Australia. And now we have direct flights to London, and we're about to get direct flights to Shanghai and Tokyo. So I think it uh, it could change the kind of uh, outlook and economic opportunities for Perth. Yeah, I think people will be more inclined to want to go back to Perth rather than do the oh, I'm going to move to Sydney or Melbourne. What are your goals for the next five years for Power Ledger? Is it just Power Ledger? Is there is there other work that you've been doing on the side? It's a huge business with a huge mission, but I've heard that there are other things on your plate as well. Uh, well, I have I've been supervising some PhD students that are working in the blockchain and energy, and uh, I sit on uh, a board as well. But um, I think that the opportunity for Power Ledger is you know really once in a lifetime and. I, I mean, I have amazing support around me. I've got, you know, my mum who's really involved with um, my two-year-old daughter's life and she's been living with us for 10 months while she's actually building an apartment down the road and that's been just such a huge help um, and support for us. And then I've got the team at Power Ledger and I've got an assistant that helps me coordinate my various activities. But I think that that transition that I've made doing operating as in the board space helps your strategic thinking so it sharpens you know your ability to think strategically and look at governance and risk as well so I don't know I just feel like that other things that I'm working on are mutually supportive of the work that I do at Power Ledger. Mm. But staying in the energy space for the next for the foreseeable future? Oh absolutely yeah I, I find it hugely exciting. Given the space around the conversation in cryptocurrency at the moment, I just wondered what your view was because 
Yeah, it's been, um, it's a roller coaster ride and, and some people are super sceptical and other people think that there's so much opportunity out there that they really think that the, you know, the world is their oyster. What, what's your vision? Well, I think that Bitcoin and, uh, you know, Ethereum are very famous, but there's all these other cryptocurrencies that I think also will change the way marketplaces operate. And it is very much early days, so we haven't really seen how... Um, we don't really know yet how these marketplaces will evolve, but mm. there certainly won't be all the same players in the future that you see today. But I just think that it's a bit like the dot-com boom and it will, uh, you know, it will evolve and reform itself over time. So mm. I'm excited for the future and I, I hope that we see more, uh, more market participants that are credible players so that we can, you know, build the reputation of the space and, and drive out some of the um, less savoury um, market participants, let's say. Yeah, exactly. Some of the, uh, I, I, it seems harsh to call them vaporware, but I don't think they've done the level of due diligence that the market re requires of them, so to say, so to speak. But the other thing, you know, I was just, I was watching Naval the other day talk about um, the kind of new marketplace, and he talked about it in terms of a coin operated network and and i guess that's what i was thinking about when you were talking about the sparks and power tokens and how it is a coin operated network and you have to use the coins or the the tokens in order for the network to operate so i think there'll be a lot more of that which is why i think you've got a lot of um a lot of cred in the space really so yeah it's been a really interesting um it's been a really interesting conversation to to talk about how power ledger is faring in the energy space. So is there anything else that you felt that you wanted to um, to just bring up before we sign off today, Gemma? Yeah, so um, we did sort of touch briefly on uh, the MailChimp banning uh, cryptocurrency or blockchain companies using their service, and I thought that was quite interesting. Mm. Because, you know, some, there, no doubt there'll be other service providers that will help those industries, but the incumbent and large companies are taking a view and rather than just putting disclaimers in there you know taking a, a position to try and block and stop these things but i mean i i just don't think that it's going to ultimately change the market the market is probably a bit like water and will find other ways of navigating its way through to find clear air yeah do you, i mean do you are you feeling like it's the institutional space that's trying to block the new market uh, well, in the case of MailChimp, I don't think that, you know, that it's not a competition thing. It's, uh, you know, MailChimp made a statement actually saying that they recognise that blockchain te technology is in its infancy and it has um, tremendous potential. Mm. Uh, but nonetheless, the promotion and exchange of um, cryptocurrencies is too frequently associated with scams. So the, 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 I think the company's response really implied it was less a moral crusade and more of an issue of protecting its brand. Yeah, which uh, is, I guess, what they're all doing. It's been the same as Facebook, though how Facebook is able to protect their brand at the moment, you'd have to wonder, given the latest news on the Australian users. I think there's about 300,000 that they say were the Australian users of the Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, data. I think that, that's been a very interesting conversation to see unfold, uh, and I think that you know, centralised and capricious power is exactly why we need the blockchain. And Evan Van Ness, who's a crypto commentator, said that this week. So I thought 
I, I do think that, you know, I think if you look historically, the earliest objectors were the most, you know, reactionary and high on that list is the old guard, uh, you know, the likes of the Chinese government, followed by JP Morgan and, um, um, you know, Jay, Jay, Jamie Dimon, the CEO mm. of JP Morgan, famously called cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies are fraud, and he was um, pretty mocked by some for this, um, but partly for also the damage that stuck. But Bill Gates also, he earlier had praised it and then flip-flopped and now he, he's not a fan. Mm. So uh, I think that... There's a bit of the old guard kind of fighting against the new, the new players, perhaps. Yeah, well, I think it's more about the need to live outside the centralised control and it's part of this libertarian dream that's captured the imagination of so many crypto investors in the first place and mm. any objective, objecting forces are really only likely to drive blockchain businesses to innovate further to make products that tr truly change it challenge the incumbents. Mm. So, mm. Um, I mean... Some critics have suggested Mailchimp's ban could be seen as banning free speech. And for a company that prides itself on giving employees permission to be creative, it's easy to see why ban is seen as a little authoritarian. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, but I think that, um, you know, I think if cryptocurrency is taught us anything, it's that you can't really predict how it will play out. You know, one day a member of the old guard like JP Morgan um, you know, criticise it and the next is regretting saying it. So maybe there's a decentralised version of the technological old guard in development right now. And, you know, if that's, that's the case, they might still decide to jump on the bandwagon instead of bandwagon. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. And only time will tell. I think it is really too hard to speculate. But I do think it does... I personally agree with you. It does augur well for a decentralised approach to holding a lot of information around assets and communication because it's been it's been so clear how um, centralised power can be quite um, dangerous at times, particularly yeah. when it comes to elections. So, indeed. Okay, listen, thank you so much for your time, Gemma. I know it's been an interesting uh, couple of days of interviewing you, but I really do appreciate your time. My pleasure. My and pleasure. I, I, yeah, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. And, and listen, all the best with Power Ledger. I'll be, I'll be watching with keen interest. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lizzie. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.